0: Well, this is uh, week four in our journey through the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in Ruth chapter four. Uh, To catch some of you up to speed, we have been following the story of Naomi in the beginning. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, uh, they left Bethlehem to flee to Moab during a time of, of famine. As we talked about, that was a bad decision. They then married their two daughters off to Moabite women, another bad decision, and then tragedy struck. Uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and her two sons died. So now Naomi is in a life-threatening situation. She does not have food. She does not have family. And she's left with these two daughters-in-law that she needs to now take care of. So she tries to convince them to go back to Moab where they presumably still have family in some way to be taken care of. Uh, one daughter-in-law does that. The other, of course, Ruth, doubles down on her commitment to Naomi and Naomi's God. And so they then return to Bethlehem where they hear that food has returned. That's chapter one. Chapter two, we see God do amazing things to begin to fix the food issue. And we get a feeling, an inkling, that he might be working on the family front too because we are introduced to the kinsman redeemer. That is somebody that Ruth could marry Uh, and as we're going to see get the family land back and continue the family name and keep this vow that she has made to Naomi Uh, the kinsman redeemer is Boaz into whose field she just happened to walk and he shows interest in her so chapter two ends really exciting but then chapter three we see that the harvest season is almost finished And that Boaz has done nothing to follow through on the interest that he has shown to Ruth. So Ruth has to take things into her own hands. And chapter three looks like it could get a little spicy. It doesn't. She is uh, above board. She communicates her intentions to Boaz. He says, yes, I want to marry you. And then we get this major plot twist. There's another man. There's another kinsman redeemer who has first right of refusal on Ruth. And that... That's where chapter three ends. So we pick this up knowing she's gonna marry somebody. We don't know who it's gonna be. We know next to nothing about this nearer kinsman redeemer, but we do know one thing. We don't like him. We want Boaz. Boaz is, is the man we want for Ruth. And so as we conclude this story, we are going to see a picture of faithfulness on display in the most significant of ways. And it was interesting to me, in God's providence, I was preparing this message on God's faithfulness while I was in Pittsburgh uh, speaking at a Weekend Remember marriage retreat where the main theme that we're trying to work into these marriages and talk about is what? Faithfulness. And not just any kind of faithfulness, but the kind of faithfulness that will last decades and endure all the trials and hurts that are going to come Uh, in every marriage. And at every single conference, we meet people who are in the middle of these trials, whose faithfulness is being tested, People, uh, people who feel uncared for, people who feel betrayed, people who have really been betrayed. And it's not uncommon for us to come across people who have in their possession their signed divorce papers, And so we see faithfulness displayed, and then at the end of the weekend, we see faithfulness challenge, excuse me, and at the end of the weekend, for the couples who so desire, they have an opportunity to renew the vows that they made to each other, you know, years, sometimes decades earlier. And it's a powerful moment at the end of the weekend. You know, I say this often when I, when I do weddings, but you don't vow to do the easy things. You vow to do the hard things. You know, I will never have to vow to drink too much coffee and go hunting. Like, this is just gonna always come easy for me. My wife will never have to vow to sit by the fireplace and read. That's just always gonna come easy to her. But staying faithful is difficult. Staying faithful over a long period of time is difficult, and that is true whether we're talking about a marriage or any other of the hundreds of ways that we in this room are called to remain faithful to different people and different causes. So how do we remain faithful? Whatever it is that we're called to remain faithful to, how do we remain faithful? And that question is answered here in this fourth chapter of Ruth. Because not only do we see this story wrapped up in a beautiful way, we get a picture of the Christian hope in a very unique way. So I want to walk through the story as we've been doing, just kind of reading and talking. Uh, And I want to do it by looking at, at predictably, three things. Uh, I want to look at Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth. I want to look at God's faithfulness to Naomi and then lastly I want to look at God's faithfulness to us all of this is in this wonderful story so Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth verse one now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by so Boaz said turn aside friend sit down here and he turned aside and sat down All right, a few things we have to understand to really appreciate what's about to happen. First, in that day and age, all land belonged to God. All right, we see that in Leviticus 25, and that's important because it helps us to understand these provisions where families fall on tough times, they have to sell their land, and there are these provisions like Leviticus 25 where they can get that land back, okay? We have to know that. Secondly, Deuteronomy 25 tells us how widows are provided for and how family names are continued, and that's really important because a family name is required to claim land. So widows are taken care of if their husband dies by being brought in by the nearest available male relative of the dead husband, and so that might be a brother, it might be a cousin, but that woman is brought in as the wife, and if there are any children, that child continues the name of the dead husband. So it, it, was, it was a big deal. I mean, you can, if, if a man had this opportunity to be what is called a redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, and he refuses it, you, you can see, again, in Deuteronomy 25, that he would be brought publicly by the elders. They would take his sandals away and spit in his face. So it might sound a little bit more like an episode of Jerry Springer than something you would expect to find in the Bible. But what we see is that God is very serious about providing for widows and for continuing their safety, their provision, and even the name of that family. So we have to see that as well. Because in our story, the land issue is at play, the widow issue is at play, and the family name issue is at play. So all these things come together in a way that we might not immediately see in our 21st century Western context. Remember likely Elimelech and Naomi sold their land before they escaped to Moab and that's important to know as we continue. All right so Boaz goes to the city gate and you see this word behold. It has the same kind of nuance as you know just happening into Boaz's field. Uh, behold this right when he walks up this guy just happens to walk in front then he says sit down friend and that word in Hebrew it actually isn't friend it's a it's like a rhyming gibberish that we would probably best translate as Mr. So-and-so so So the author is deliberately trying to not include the name of this person so let's see what Mr. So-and-so does verse 2 and he took 10 men of the elders, that is Boaz, elders of the city, and sat down and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So there are now witnesses roughly in line with Leviticus 25. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So, with context, we understand what's going on. Boaz is going to this man, and he's saying, you have the opportunity to to be Naomi's redeemer, to buy that land, and it doesn't take a Wall Street executive to see that this presented this way this would be a good deal for Mr. So-and-so I mean he gets Naomi it seems like she's old enough that heirs are not going to happen so this land would be able to be given to his biological heirs his family name so it's a no-brainer but how do we feel about this I mean how do you think Ruth would feel if she's we know she's good at spying on people so what if she's like behind some door or behind some corner or bush listening how would she feel I mean is Boaz going back on his deal is he trying to get rid of Ruth by presenting it in this way no he's actually doing something brilliant to make sure that he gets Ruth let's keep reading verse 5 then Boaz said the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perp- perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Oh yeah, did I forget to mention, there's Ruth. You have to marry her, she'll provide children, they'll get the land. And he, he, I like, just for the extra punch, Ruth, the Moabite. Does that change the deal for you in any way? I think it's brilliant because Boaz has to walk a fine line here. He has to communicate that he's interested or Mr. So-and-so would be obligated to fulfill the redeemer role but he doesn't want to appear too interested. You know, this is what I call the Tom Sawyer effect. You know, nobody had interest in painting the fence, but once Tom Sawyer seemed to be enjoying it so much, well, maybe I do want to paint the fence. (laughs) If you have kids, you know, you could have a toy that lays untouched for a month. But the moment another sibling starts enjoying it, that becomes the most valuable and enjoyable toy in the whole house. And no one's going to rest until that toy is in their possession. I don't think I've ever had as many heads nodding as I, as I did for that illustration. So Boaz, he needs to communicate that he's willing, but he doesn't want to seem too willing. Or Mr. So-and-so might think, maybe I do want Ruth. So I think it's brilliant. Brilliant. Let's see how Mr. So-and-so responds. Verse six, then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Yes, this is exactly how we want him to respond. And, and, and our, our, our feeling of disdain for Mr. So-and-so is confirmed here. He, he's not out to take care of the poor. He's not out to care for Ruth. He's in it for himself and we feel a little bit better about that right now so one commentator said mr so-and-so was interested in ministry to the poor only if there was a payoff for himself and his family costly ministry without any personal payoff forget it and here we get to our first observation about faithfulness faithfulness pays a price Whether it's faithfulness to a societal obligation like we have here, whether it's faithfulness in a marriage or anything that can come in between those things and outside of those things, faithfulness pays a price because faithfulness isn't primarily interested in the payoff. Faithfulness is primarily interested in the person. And there's a cost with Ruth. There are challenges of taking on Ruth here. For one, anyone who married Ruth would marry someone from a different background, And when you have two backgrounds that come together in marriage, there are unique challenges that many of us can't easily appreciate. So that's one challenge. A different challenge is that he would be marrying a social outcast. She was a Moabite. And then three, obviously there's the challenge of land. Biological heirs of Ruth would, would get that land. But Boaz, he isn't just willing to do this. He wants to do this. And it, and it seems, as you look at this text, like Boaz, maybe he doesn't even see the cost. Like he, he just, he, you get this feeling, he's so committed to Ruth. He's blinded by the potential costs that come with him. And I think that is a real sign of faithfulness. Because if faithfulness pays a price, and you're that faithful to a person, you can be blinded to that price. So what are the things that we would say we are called to be faithful to? two and are we paying prices in that faithfulness and do those prices do they do they feel like burdens or can we almost not see them because we so want to remain faithful to the cause or the person that we're called to be faithful to all right back to the text verse seven let's see how they close the deal Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So we have like Leviticus 25, there's a sandal, but no spitting this time. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Keleon and Melon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. I love that he says her race again. Ruth the Moabite. I mean, nothing about Moabite would have conjured up positive connotations in that society and Boaz could have easily dropped this word here but it doesn't care he loves Ruth he loves Ruth the way he way, the way she is and she wants to, he wants to tell everybody that Ruth the Moabite is mine and you think about how far we've come in this story because when Ruth the Moabite entered Bethlehem they couldn't even bear to mention her presence because a Moabite woman had come to Bethlehem And now you have Boaz clearly and loudly telling everybody at the city gate, I will have her. I will have Ruth. I will take her. I want her to be mine. And here's the second quality of faithfulness that we see. Faithfulness isn't guided by what other people think. It isn't guided by what other people think. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about what other people think. It means we aren't primarily guided by what other people think. So if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler in this room, I want you to look right at my eyes because there is not another season of life where you have so much pressure on you to do things because, other, because of what other people think. And this season is so important because this is a season when you get to choose Who is it that you're going to serve? Are you going to serve what everyone else thinks, or are you primarily going to serve God? Because if you choose to serve God, it will come at a cost, but it's worth it. Back to the text. Let's see how the people respond. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. That's, this is a serious prayer. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. All right, this is a serious prayer that can easily be missed on all of us. So the first part of the prayer is may this, may this woman build up and bless Israel. That, that's easy to see. That's, and we see it's a big prayer. And if we know what's coming, it's also prophetic, but we'll, we'll wait on that. But then you have this business about Tamar. And after waiting through Ruth chapter 3, I am going to spare you the salacious details of Tamar. I had, uh, we had lunch as a family after preaching Ruth chapter three. And as I normally do, kids, you know, what'd you think of the sermon? And one of my boys said, it was pretty awkward, dad, with you mentioning all that sex stuff. (laughs) It's like, well, to be fair, it's not me. It's in the Bible. And you can get the whole Tamar story in Genesis 38. But here, I'll, I'll throw this kid a bone and I'll give you the PG version of what they're really praying for, mentioning Tamar here. Like Ruth, Tamar was an outsider to God's covenant people. Like Ruth, Tamar married into the family under uncertain circumstances. Like Ruth, Tamar lost her husband and had no child. And like Ruth, Tamar dressed up in pursuit of a child and a future. And the prayer is that Ruth, like Tamar, would be a Canaanite woman through whom the line of Judah continues. So that's what's going on in this prayer here. And in this prayer, we get our third observation about faithfulness. Faithfulness blesses others. I mean, nothing about this prayer could even be possible if Boaz had not been faithful to Ruth. But because he had been faithful, he has blessed Ruth, He is blessing Naomi, and as we will see, he is going to bless all of Israel and all of God's people, because when we are faithful to somebody, it will bless them. All right, so in the next verse, the story could end, and we would probably be content, but it's interesting what the author does here. He he seems to very intentionally shift the focus. All right, so Let's look at this as we now transition from Boaz's faithfulness to Ruth to God's faithfulness to Naomi. All right, up until now, God has predominantly been in the background and only now does he come to the foreground. Let's read verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So in that, whole, that, that one verse, the whole story of Ruth and Boaz is finished. Got Mary, had a baby, it's a boy. <laughs> End of the story. And there are only two places in this book that God is mentioned in this kind of way. You may remember back in chapter 1 when food had been restored to Bethlehem. And then now when family is being given to Ruth and Naomi. Which is interesting because you remember the main two problems in this book were what? Food and family. Where are the two times that God is mentioned? Food and family. And so we see that it's only God who can meet the great needs of Ruth and Naomi. And we learn and are reminded that it is only God who can meet the greatest needs that we have as well. So here the Ruth story finishes. And if this were a play, I'm thinking. In play, I've been looking at Thanksgiving plays a lot recently. If this were a play, you'd have Ruth and Boaz over here, and the lights would dim. And then you'd have Naomi and God over here, and the lights would come on. So there's that kind of transition happening here. Then the woman said to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Is that confusing? I mean, all the redeemer talk has been Boaz to Ruth, but now we're talking about a different redeemer to Naomi. Who is this redeemer? Picking up in verse 14. And may his name, whoever this is, be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons. That's a way of saying better than the best son out there. For your daughter, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The child is Naomi's redeemer. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. became his nurse so I want you to think about this as a play this final scene you have the light on Naomi holding her grandson in safety and security this is the same Naomi who came into Bethlehem empty and bitter and now she is holding her heir I mean, this is a phenomenal picture of God's faithfulness to Naomi. I mean, in this one verse, we see potential death turned into life. We see curse turned into blessing. We see emptiness turned into fullness. And we see bitterness turned into hope. And this would be another appropriate place to end the story. But it doesn't end there. We're going to see in the last four verses that this faithfulness that is lavished onto Naomi has lavished onto us as well. Let's finish by looking at God's faithfulness to us. All right, there are certain movies out there that have such a big plot twist at the end that you feel like, I've, I've got to watch this whole thing over, okay? So movies like, memento movies like the sixth sense or fight club which i'm not endorsing i'm just saying it's that that kind of a movie such a big plot twist we gotta gotta go back and watch the whole thing again and that's what's about to happen here in verse 16 and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name we have not been told the name up until this point a son has been born to naomi they named him obed all their you know alarms would have been going off but just in case they're not Obed he was the father of Jesse the father of David this is a huge twist this baby is the grandfather of the greatest king in the history of Israel King David and so now we can see this the story is so much bigger than Ruth it's so much bigger than Naomi this is God working in the darkest of times before they were even asking for a king he was preparing one for them You see God's providence come alongside his faithfulness and he's doing this when these people see their need the least and they deserve to have their need met the least and it's still not over. In these next few verses we get to come full circle and see the source of Boaz's faithfulness. Because just saying be faithful, that's hard. I mean, it, I'm not, we're not given the power and the fuel to carry it out. But we're seeing in the past, last few verses, the source of Boaz's faithfulness. And hopefully the source of all of our faithfulness in this life. All right. Ruth 4, 18. These are verses that many of us would just fly through. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So the authors come back and, and expanded on, on that genealogy. And if you were of the original audience and you knew who these people were, there would be something big that that, that you notice that you spot out in this genealogy there are three Canaanite women I mean you have Tamar who was the mother of Perez you have Rahab who was the the wife of Salmon and of course you have Ruth who is the wife of Boaz and so we're reminded that Boaz's mom was a Canaanite prostitute who had humbled herself and submitted herself to the God of Israel and been lavished With grace because the God of Israel was faithful to those who repent and turn and run to him. And so Boaz had a front row seat to God's faithfulness his entire life. He was told about God's faithfulness from Rahab. And that gave him a well from which to draw bucket after bucket of faithfulness to, I would imagine, lots of people, but especially this third Canaanite woman coming into the line of Judah. And that is where the story ends for the Old Testament believer. (laughs) Because if you know your New Testament, you know that it begins with what? A genealogy taking this very same line, but it doesn't end with King David it goes through King David to the better king King Jesus In Jesus we see the fullness of God's faithfulness to us In Jesus is where we're able to see faithfulness in a way that is going to empower and enable faithfulness in our lives Then remember the three things that I that I said about faithfulness the three observations First it pays a price well, no one has ever paid a bigger price for us than King Jesus. And not only did Jesus give his life for us, he endured God's wrath on our, in our place. And as people were standing there in that unimaginable agony, mocking him, what did Jesus do? He prayed for them. God have mercy on them for they know not what they do. And in, in that moment, he was loudly and publicly saying, I'll have her. Only the her wasn't a Canaanite woman. The her was the church. The her was us. Faithfulness pays a price. Secondly, faithfulness isn't guided by what other people think. I mean, Jesus had a mission, and that mission caused the most powerful people in Israel to hate him. But it didn't matter because Jesus wasn't shaped and guided by what other people thought, he was shaped and guided by what God thought. And then thirdly, faithfulness blesses others. As a result of Jesus' faithfulness to us, we are brought out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light. We are made new creations. We have a new eternal destination. And on top of all of that, even more than all of that, we are drawn in to an eternal relationship with the God of this universe. There is no greater faithfulness provided for man than in Jesus Christ. And in the very beginning of the series, I said this story about Ruth is ultimately a story about Jesus. And if there's one message that we should take away from this story, it is it's that God is faithful to his people, he will never leave or forsake his people. Everything else will. Your job will not remain faithful to you. Your money will not remain faithful to you. Your social standing will not be faithful to you. Your popularity in school will not be faithful to you. Only God will. And in this life, as you are betrayed over and over, as you will be in this fallen world, God is telling us in this story that he will be faithful, that he will call us, He will sustain us, and he will bring us home. That's the story of Ruth. It has been a fun journey, but our hope is obviously that it would be more than fun, that seeing God's providence and his faithfulness would make us more faithful to him, that we would be able to see all the other things that we're faithful to, that we think are going to give us something, that they really can't and that this story every time we read it every time we hear about it that would cause us to see these things won't be faithful to us and see all the ways that God is let's pray God we are so thankful that our relationship with you depends on your faithfulness not ours And we know that we're not even faithful enough to see you as the answer. Our sin runs that deep. But you are so faithful that you come and you open our eyes. And then we can see the beauty who is Jesus Christ provided for us. And I pray this morning that you would do that for all of us. For those of us who are in a relationship with you, that it would be deeper, that it would change us, that it would be contagious. And for those of us in this room who are not in a relationship with you, that eyes would be opened right now. We love you and we thank you and we ask this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.